0: The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. The biggest event in the history of College Game Day. Still no season-altering upset, but there is an event that could alter the playoff picture, and we might even give a little taste to Turkey Day. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, November 20th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel with you. And Pete, I'm often asked now at uh, nine years on College Game Day, uh, what's, what's the best crowd? What's the biggest moment? And for years, since we went to Washington State, I have steadfastly answered the trip to Pullman. And in many ways, that trip and that show will never be replaced because of the cathartic nature of having 15 years on a quest among the Coug faithful of getting the flag to every show with the express purpose of bringing College Game Day to their city. And it was a remarkable, emotional experience. And from that standpoint, you put it in that category, I don't know that it will ever be topped because I don't know that anyone will ever put forth the effort to draw uh, College Game Day for as long a period as the Washington State fans did. But as a pure event, I don't know that. uh, uh, In fact, I do know I have not experienced anything like James Madison on Saturday from the sheer size of the crowd, which perhaps was the biggest in game day history. There are a few, including Washington State, that might have been in that uh, 26,000 neighborhood because it's a pretty inexact science when they start uh, counting the numbers of the crowd. But when you Factor in the storyline with the NCAA denying the petition for the waiver. When you factor in that, oh, I went to a college game day uh, event and a Jonas Brothers concert broke out. I don't, there hasn't been an event in my nine years on college game day and my now 30 years in television that captured every aspect of what you would want. Uh, for a, a Saturday morning college football pregame show it was uh, it's right at the top of the list. It is at the top of the list in terms of event.
1: Yeah it the, the scenery uh, I can't overstate uh, the electricity there uh, I was doing uh, my first couple hits on a side set that was basically in the middle of the crowd and uh, let it let, let me say one of my lasting impressions of James Madison will be what a good time those students had in preparing for college game day, they were definitely, they were definitely well oiled by the time that old show rose at, uh, at 9. AM there was, uh, there was an energy there an electricity there. I'd be curious what that student section looked like by overtime of their football game. Cause they had to be wiped out. That was a, they were ready. They were ready for nine, man. There was no, there was no doubt about that. That was sec level consumptions, uh, at, uh, at JMU. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the crowd could not have been better. My funniest memory from that will be uh standing on the, the the demo field waiting to do a hit and I just heard a screeching of girls like like National Geographic primal screeching. And I like did a double take because I was like, they really probably aren't that interested in like Jason Bean being a game time decision for Kansas, (laughs) but it, but it, it came through like, so suddenly I like didn't know what it was. And then I looked over my shoulder and the Jonas brothers were going in the sound tent to get their ears for their, uh, for their sound check. And I was like, Oh, okay. That is the reason for this reaching. By the way they were
0: sensational. Now, I didn't get an opportunity this time because of when they came into town and and when they arrived on set and their sound check and everything. I actually didn't speak to any of the Jonas Brothers. Um, The closest I got was from our stage to theirs when I introduced them. That came uh, much to the chagrin of Sarah, who was with us setting up the start of the podcast and had to go on to some other duties. But she was waiting on me to come on the feed here to ask me if Joe what type of mood Joe was in in light of recent news that apparently he's going going through a divorce um mm. all, all reports were that he was in in good spirits. they all went downtown Harrisonburg and served spirits at a bar which was which was going around the basketball game. I went to the first half of the basketball game which by the way also great arena, great loud loud Mm -hmm. arena uh, for the Radford game, which turned out to be a a great finish as well. And it was going around that they were going to show up and bartend at one of the student bars downtown to sort of reach out and touch the people. They apparently did that. And then they just put on a a great show, an abbreviated performance for sure. But even during one of the commercial breaks, when they did their sound check, they played their new uh, song, Strong Enough sensational what what great entertainers what talented guys what uh seeming like like as relatively normal as you can possibly be when you get the fame and acclaim that people like that have but you know they were gracious enough to come on our show and i i could not uh be more thankful to them so they were they were tremendous and i think the people at james madison i know the people at james madison enjoyed it and you know the two songs they played afterwards i i botched the intro uh, after the show no one had mentioned to me or if they did I'd forgotten because I was taking off my stuff and everything at the end of the show and they were like you got to read the card and I'm like what card they said you've got to introduce the Jonas Brothers and I said well I, I don't see the card I don't think I have one I said do they want me to do it and I look out there and Nick Jonas is sort of staring over at me like uh like we're ready to go here so I I just made up something which I think I don't think you could really mess up introducing the Jonas Brothers and Bailey Zimmerman you know ladies and gentlemen how great they're awesome back with more songs here you know here are the Jonas Brothers and Bailey Zimmerman I probably missed some promo that they wanted in there but you know everybody knows the songs coming out and I'd mentioned earlier you could go on gameday.com and listen listen to the two more songs but they were they were I mean just Just sensational. Absolutely sensational.
1: Yeah, What a moment in time for that school, Reese. The football team uh, entered the weekend ranked 18th. Obviously didn't go their way against App, uh, as some of us predicted. The basketball team uh, barnstorms into the top 25 with that Michigan State update and wins in the last uh, final seconds in a great game against Raffer. To have two nationally ranked teams at James Madison is just fantastic. But I will say this, from spending some time there, from spending some time with Kurt Cignetti, going over and see Mark Bindy. They've invested there. You know what I mean? They have, they have invested there. That arena is a top flight mid-major basketball arena. Um, The facilities are, you know, look, you're not walking into Alabama, but they have clearly built it. Give Jeff Bourne, the athletic director there a lot of credit. He's retiring after 25 years. They have gone kind of brick by brick and built this thing up and uh, they're ready for their moment. And they have great coaches in place, great facilities in place, and they're only going to continue to soar and, The, you know, the indelible memory will be the spirit of that place. There's a lot of pride and passion at James Madison. You know what I wonder
0: though, Pete, and it's one of the perils of moving up. When I left there, I thought, I wonder if I'll ever be back here Hmm. because previously when we went, they were an FCS power challenging North Dakota state, you know, Mm -hmm. looking for, uh, looking for supremacy on that level. Now, the reason we went this year rather than, say, go to Liberty, who also in state is undefeated. Mm -hmm. But the reason we went there this year was because of the appeal for the waiver and the story of this undefeated team that quite possibly prior to that overtime loss on Saturday, had they been allowed to be ranked uh, or eligible for the postseason, which by definition would have uh, made them eligible to be ranked in the college football playoff rankings, they might well have been the highest ranked group of five team, Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you still rank Tulane ahead of them. I I have no quarrel with that if you do, but they would have been in the mix for a New Year's Six Bowl. Now, once that is passed after this season and they are in the mix and have the full, all the rights and privileges of everyone else at the FBS level and still the same opportunity to make the playoff and to make their conference championship game, it's not as unique. Well, there are no gradations of unique. Something's either unique or it's not. This story was somewhat unique and um now I think of Phyllis
1: every time you say that unique. I, part, I know it. I've
0: <laughs> learned by, I've learned my lesson. Um but it it's a it's a different type of story that will not be repeated by James Madison. Now maybe someone else will fall into that same circumstance, but it won't be repeated by them. And now they become a really good program with all the things you mentioned, trying to probably uh, in some years, trying to slide into that one spot that will be available to them. One Mm -hmm. guaranteed spot available to to them. All of the at-large slots are always available to everyone if they play Mm -hmm. well enough and win in the new college football playoff format. But the most likely one for teams outside the power conferences is to be the highest ranked champion among those conferences. I'm going to have to start, uh, changing my nomenclature about group of five because we've got to determine um, how many of the conferences are power and how many aren't and whether the format stays six and six as they think now and all of that jazz but it's an interesting time.
1: college football to like someone in switzerland is a really hard thing to do yeah because <laughs> we but can't even keep up with it
0: <laughs> it's like a it's like more complex relegation right and uh, for yeah, someone in europe it's, yeah. it's a little more it's a little different than yeah. than that but it's it's somewhat similar but i did i did leave there wondering when will I be back here? If, if so. And if, and if the answer is we don't go back, which I'm not saying it is, but if the, if that is the answer, they have provided three of the most memorable college game days yep. in my time there. And certainly the biggest event, all encompassing event that I've had in my nine years on the show and it was delivered on Saturday and it was uh it was a, a remarkable thing. And, um, As you often say and rightly so, we're not rooting for outcomes, but it was you felt sort of badly that they lost. And then also, when I saw it, I I was watching the watching the game, and how at the end I was like, "Oh man, you know, great win for App State. What a tough loss." Then I started watching the replay, and I was like, "He might have fumbled, and if they fumbled, (laughs) if they fumbled, it goes out of bounds. They win." It's not like the game extends. That was like win lose.
1: Oh, because I, yes, the ball. You're right. Yeah, the ball yeah. went
0: into the end zone and out of bounds. Right. So it. I mean, if that had been ruled a fumble, they win. So yeah. it was. Uh, and it was close. Very. I, close. I was watching on Plus. I think it, it was, was the right yeah. call. By the way, I do I think too. The call was I right, too. but it was yes. really close.
1: Yeah, they were right to look at it for a minute now and and yeah. and, die, and really and really really uh, really really dial in. Um, yeah, it's funny. App State, Reese, uh, they'd been hot coming in. They had won three in a row, and that was their fourth win in a row. Proud program, mm-hmm. who also pulled off a last second shock on game day last year mm-hmm. when they hosted and they beat Troy. Troy, I believe, since then is 18 and two or 19 and two. I don't have my, uh, my I got I, I, a little more dialed in on my Trojan math, but it's <laughs> that, it, that was the most, that perhaps the most unlikely ascent. Um, you know, uh, an impetus of that—that that I've seen, and uh, App State knows how to meet the moment. Give Sean Clark credit. Yep, they—they they did as a program. I will say
0: this: not the cast dispersions. We had a great time in Boone, but crowd-wise, that did not come close
1: to, no, it did to what James it Madison. Boone was great. That, that was one of my favorite game days it, last year. It was year. fun. Awesome it was town. really
0: fun. It was great. Great, yeah. But nah, it went close. Yeah, and it's a uh, very a lot of a lot of pride in the university, in the in the city of Harrisonburg and uh, and certainly, in what they've accomplished as a program and what they continue to accomplish, they've got a you know really a really good head coach, really good young staff. And uh, you know, they've got, Got an opportunity to keep winning. We're talking with some of their assistants about the recruiting. We won't go down that rabbit hole uh, right now in this podcast, but uh, the future still remains bright for the Dukes. Uh, and they still might wind up in a bowl game if we don't have I enough. I think they will. Yeah, if we don't I have mean, enough teams with uh, 500 records to fill all the bowl slots. Yeah, as projections
1: go, and I'm certainly not a math major, it, it, it appears unlikely at this point, I would say, that that all everything gets filled.
0: Pete, I know that you are, in addition to the Jonas Brothers, that you are a music aficionado. And as the Talking Heads once sang, same as it ever was. That's pretty much the way that we went through this past Saturday. There were threats of upset that did not materialize, which will leave us with the same group of undefeated teams. I don't know if maybe you switch an order here or there. And the same group of one-loss teams pursuing them right behind when the college football rank, playoff rankings come out on Tuesday. Um, you had Washington pushed to the limit at Oregon State in the rain and a really impressive win. You had Michigan somewhat surprisingly pushed by Maryland, Michigan missing some opportunities. McCarthy particularly missing a couple of throws that he has not missed very often this season that sort of kept kept Maryland in the game for a while. You had Texas once again doing everything it could possibly do oh. uh, to steal to steal from Joey Galloway. They keep trying to lose, and no one will let them. So Texas <clears throat> Texas gets out and goes on uh, to go. Ohio State uh, marched on without problem. Georgia, uh, even with Dolly Parton there, uh, eviscerated. Tennessee, which I was actually quite proud of that lead on Saturday announcing that, you know, they were going to have Miss Dolly seeing Rocky top and I opined that perhaps nine to five would have been a more appropriate selection there. If you take the lyrics from her hit nine to five uh, talking about the boss, which in this case, uh, metaphorically speaking would be Georgia. They let you dream just to watch them shatter. You're just a step on the big dog ladder. Even though I took some liberties with the lyrics with the big dogs, but, and that turned out to be pretty much the way it was. But there was one thing that happened on Saturday that really alters the playoff picture. I didn't agree with, uh, with the take that some of our guys had that Florida State would likely be left out if undefeated uh, you know, against, say, uh, a one-loss Alabama SEC champion, one-loss Oregon, whoever it might be. Um, I didn't fully agree with that take, but I understood where it was coming from. But the just devastating injury to Jordan Travis changes things a little bit. It doesn't mean that Florida State can't make it. It doesn't mean that you automatically say they're playing their backup quarterback and therefore they aren't the same team and we aren't going to take them. There's history, there's precedent in 2014. Cardell Jones came in and put up a million points on Wisconsin and they got the fourth uh, playoff spot in 2014 over TCU and Baylor that year. Tate Rodemaker now takes over at quarterback for Florida State, and he will have two games, both of which they obviously have to win if they're going to make the playoff. But he needs to be impressive. And that's a lot of pressure on him. It's a lot of pressure on Mike Norvell. But the good thing is, is you're not rolling in a redshirt freshman who's only played mop-up duty. Tate Rodemaker's played some. Uh, for Florida state over the years. He's, he's got some credibility, but it is still really important in the evaluation for him to play well. And I know some Florida state fans might not agree with this. I think this is completely appropriate. This is, this is why you have a committee, you have a committee to make football judgments. And part of the football judgment on Florida state now is how effective is their quarterback play? And as important as a player like, say, for instance, Brock Bowers or Marvin Harrison might be, and heaven forbid, I know Bowers has already been injured, but heaven forbid that either of them uh, are injured in such a way that they wouldn't be able to play in the playoff. I'm using them as an example because they are two of the most important players I can think of that aren't quarterbacks. I would be much uh, much more in line with saying, you can find another tight end you can find another receiver maybe not of that level but you can still function quarterback's different quarterback not only from a leadership standpoint but because they touch the ball every play this is a this is completely appropriate in my judgment that Florida State really goes under the magnifying glass and how well they play now if Rodemaker comes out and drops a 40 spot on Florida and 38 on Louisville we're good here you know then you evaluate everything else as it is but if they stumble around can't execute on offense somehow pull out the games then i think they put themselves uh, they put themselves in peril they've uh, they put themselves in some danger depending on what happens around the country uh, with other teams
1: Rodemaker's position right now, Reese, is one of the, the most unique that I've encountered um, in 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 my time doing this. Now you can make the Cardell Jones comparison, and that's and that's fine, but they also had Ezekiel Elliott and Mike Thomas and a bunch of O linemen that went to the league. Like again, Florida State's very good, and they're in this position. They've earned this position. They earn every right. But he's almost like. An actor who's going to be evaluated by critics as opposed to a football player for these next 48 hours. Does that make sense? Like his mm-hmm. individual performance will be the most scrutinized in the sport over the next two weeks. And it'll be really interesting to see what Tay Rodemaker's made of. Obviously, uh, week three, I remember watching the game in my hotel in Boone uh last year on a Thursday. Uh, he came in at Louisville. They won 35-31 and he played well. He acquitted mm-hmm. himself really well and uh i think Tate's a little bit unique in that he is sort of the the veteran backup that we don't see in college football anymore. He didn't run. Uh, so in a lot of ways he's an easy guy to root for. We don't root, but you sort of root for the story, right? Like mm-hmm. Tate T- Rodemaker is a guy who has who has waited his turn and um you know he's been at FSU since since 2020 and now here's his uh here's his shot. Uh and so i like that's an excruciating amount of pressure to put on a young man. There's really no other way to play it because he's not only needs to win, he needs to chase some semblance of perfection and some semblance of what Jordan Travis would be if he was in there. Very difficult position. And you hope, first of all, I just want to say just George Travis, wonderful player. You hate to see his career go like that, right? Just end in that in that moment. What terrible. A just terrible, terrible. Yeah. Just the, and, and you kind of knew it like the second it happened and it just just watching it all unfold. He has handled it with grace and class. I want to be very clear about that, Reese. Like just he is what he has handled it wonderfully. So um, all credit to him for that. He's really a guy who will be remembered fondly at Florida State for growing them up through that dark period. Right. Um, end of end of Fisher was bad. Willie Taggart was not great, and Mike Norvell picked him up by the bootstraps and built them step by step. And you can't write the history of uh, this Florida State Renaissance without Jordan Travis as one of the lead characters, and it's it's a shame for him that he's not around to see it through because he got punched in the face. He he was in you know on the on the business end of some bad offensive lines, right? So just a a tip of the cap to him and what he's meant to that program. Just a transformative player at a great place. And you
0: know, I think I agree with you. I remember watching Rodemaker play, and he and I know it was UNA – and A. Um, on Saturday night, but he he came in in a difficult situation, and you know they'd gotten down they were down thirteen down thirteen <laughs> nothing in that game, and you know so they you know they came back and blew out U N A as you would expect, mm-hmm. um, you know doing a little uh, memory refreshing on how he arrived there, Florida State meaning Rodemaker. Florida State hadn't signed a quarterback in a couple of previous recruiting classes because of some of those issues that you mentioned with the coaching staff turnover and the move from from Jimbo to, to Taggart and then to Norvell. And just about a week before signing day, Rodemaker, who's from Valdosta, uh, with high school football powerhouse in in South Georgia, not too far from Tallahassee, you know he he signs. And, you know, he sort of stuck it out. He was not the highest rated quarterback, a Chubba Purdy, you know, who didn't, who, who has since left Florida State was a higher rated quarterback than him. Started for Nebraska it, on Saturday. Yeah. Um, You know, he, he stuck it out and now he has this opportunity. And as you said, we, you know, we don't root for teams or outcomes or anything like that, but because of what Jordan Travis has meant to Florida State and because of what the opportunity for Rodemaker, you like to see people put in this position, succeed, and then have the team evaluated on its merit. Now, even prior to the Jordan Travis injury, we had a couple of guys on game day, uh, you know, putting out there that they might be open uh, due to schedule, strength of schedule, number of quality wins, the relative strength of the ACC, all of those things um, that they might be open to, you know, if they were in the room, ranking a team with one loss ahead of Florida State. Uh, the one thing I do think that's interesting about this is Ryan McGee has joined us now and is, is about to join the conversation. The SEC doesn't have the same relative strength nor level of non-conference wins this season as it has had most other years. The rivalry games that come up this week are certainly lower-tier SEC teams against the uh, with the exception of um, you know, of George George Tech, but a couple of the others against higher level ACC teams, games that the ACC should win. And if they do, though, it still continues to add to the resume that the SEC hasn't accomplished what it has in years past and therefore might not get the benefit of the doubt if it were to come down, say, to... Um, if everything else fell in place, you have an undefeated Big Ten champion, whether it be Michigan or Ohio State, you have an undefeated Pac-12 champion, which would be Washington in this case, and you had an undefeated Florida State and a one-loss Texas as Big 12 champion if those things happen, and Alabama uh, knocks off Georgia and wins the SEC. Under that scenario, that is the specific scenario in which the SEC champion could be left out of the college football playoff. And I don't think, while it is certainly reasonable to say on football judgment, way they're playing, all that type of thing, if you think Alabama's better than Florida State, that's a reasonable take. But to say it is because of the SEC and the SEC schedule as opposed to something else, I don't think carries the same weight as it has in years past. And that is the specific scenario under which an SEC champion could be left out. And it is one that probably benefits Florida State now, Ryan, uh, in the event that the Seminoles can stay undefeated and that Tate Rodemaker plays well. We were just talking about the pressure on Rodemaker and on Florida State. There's going to be a bit of a drop-off because Jordan Travis has played forever. He's their leader. But it can't be significant, or else it changes the calculus in the evaluation of the Seminoles and their case if they are in fact undefeated and in the mix on Selection Day.
2: Yeah, it's it's fascinating, and it's um uh, you know, we've kind of gotten, I say we as in all of college football, but me in my corner of the world, the assumption is your SEC champion get in. That's just how it's going to be, and and there are scenarios, and there is nervousness about that, and so yeah, it's. And this is where the eye test is the ultimate test. You know, when that group sits in the room and the question is, all right, you know, these are the records and this is the situation. And is this a strength of schedule? And this is a conference champ. But ultimately, a lot of the people, most of the people who've been in that room over the last day will tell you. And then the question just becomes, all right, we just watched them all play. Who do you think is better than everyone else? And that isn't always who ends up in in, in that four But that's going to be – that's going to be the question is, because if you've watched Alabama, uh, certainly since the Texas loss, certainly over the last month, um, it's hard to vote against them. And if you've looked at what Georgia has done, it's hard to vote against them. But that's – to me, if it comes down to a one-loss SEC team, that's what it's going to come down to is, do we really believe this is one of the best teams in the country? Because the reality is, I think Georgia – I don't think there's even a conversation there. And with Alabama, it's going to be yes. They look; they might look better than everyone else, but there's what's happened in September. And, and so, if the if the if the equation truly is the four best looking teams right now, um, then it's going to be hard to come up with a case against Alabama or Georgia. But you know, with that big We're, one sitting next to your name, I, I get it. The uh,
0: the criteria is unequivocally better. You know that. Yep. It's like when you that's when you drop down to the things like conference championships, head to head, all of that kind of things. If 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 a team is not unequivocally better in the judgment of the committee. And that's one of the reasons I brought up the SEC's non-conference schedule, because I think and you guys may accuse me of overcompensating due, due to where I went to school. But I don't think you can make that case for Alabama. I mean, it's this is they're good. I think they have improved over the course of the season probably more than any team that Knicks had there they are legit uh, I don't think they will be favored and they will certainly you know be a difficult task but are they capable of beating Georgia yes I think they are but I don't know that you can look at them over the course of the entire season even over this last month and make the judgment that just because they beat SEC teams, which are good, I'm not trying to say the SEC is not good. It might still be the best, but there's not this big gulf between the SEC and and some of the other conferences. It might be between the SEC and the rest of the Big Ten, to be honest. But the other and maybe the ACC. But you know, Florida State still has that win over LSU at the beginning of the season, which still has to carry some weight. So I'm not sure you can make that judgment. So that's a long way of saying. Uh, Alabama needs help whether that help arrives in the fashion of an upset that we haven't seen this year and or whether it arrives in the fashion of uh you know Florida State struggling on offense without Jordan Travis but this all assumes something that you saw firsthand that seems highly highly unlikely at this moment and that's uh that's those hairy dogs from Athens town actually losing to anybody I mean yeah yet another uh foot to the rear end performance by the dogs.
2: Yeah, it, it, and it's just – I keep going back to – I get to this with Alabama and Georgia both, which is what I keep telling everybody you, you had your chance, right? I mean, they, they both scuffled, obviously, in the middle of the year, and now Georgia is just – I mean, rolling. Brock Bowers now is back to being Brock Bowers. Um, You know, Lab McConkie, everybody. I mean, er, everyone who was hurt and who wasn't contributing – and you had a quarterback that needed some time to get going. Well, he's had that now. I mean, everyone looks great. And, and so, yeah, I think you, everyone had their chance four, five, six weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago when, when, uh, when Brock Bowers was still out. And now they, uh, I mean, that's, that's the best looking team I've seen this year. Um, oh, yeah. and, and you guys have seen a, a wider variety than I have, you know, on the field in games, but, but even they just, uh, yeah, they're 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 at full strength now. And Kirby Smart, you guys know Kirby. Yeah. You can tell when he knows, all right, yeah, we're rolling now. And, yeah. and he, he has no time for anyone right now. And, and this <laughs> and, and that's not because he's panicking. That's because he knows that he's got his foot in the gas. Hey, hey, Pete,
0: how about this for Georgia? They run 86 in there, and they and Mike Bobo, good job here, Dylan Bell. They run 86 in and they hand him the ball. Now it's not the first time they've done it this year. He's he's a wide receiver by trade, Dylan Bell, but they had some mm-hmm. they were banged up earlier in the season at running back. And so they put him in there. They you can't tell me they purposely didn't run him early in the game because they were fine at running back in that game at that point to set up the halfback pass. So now we know he can catch it, he can yeah. run it, and he can throw it. I mean, like, yeah. and then he goes out there after that, and I guess Ra Ra Thomas got nicked up a little bit. So now we're just going to throw the ball to him a lot. I mean, <laughs> these dudes, these dudes are rolling, man. They're rolling.
1: So you guys are letting perfectly accurate football analysis get in the way of a fun hypothetical. All right, <laughs> and the fun <laughs> hypothetical is the SEC meltdown scenario. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Like I have this. Big television that's right in front of me that would be on the Paul Feinbaum show for four straight hours, full volume <laughs> up, to hear every phone call. I mean, the I like we there is a small chance, but there is still a chance that the SEC gets shut out. And we we should not just overlook with your Georgia's great analysis the possibility of the SEC shutout. They'd get rotamakered and it would be
2: a spectacle. Well, and and keep in mind, Georgia still. Has never beaten Alabama in the SEC championship game. Mm. You know that that that's that's another. I wrote a thing for 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 SEC Nation over the weekend about and it was about here we go again. You know, mm-hmm. back in the day, it was uh, it was always Alabama, Florida, and so uh, uh, Reese will appreciate this story. When I was a student at Tennessee, and they uh, the first ever SEC championship game, they were doing this. The, one of the local TV stations, Bob Kessling, you know, now the voice of the Vols, oh, was yeah, doing this yeah. this voice on the man on the street thing on campus. And my college roommate was asked, all right, who are you rooting for tonight in the inaugural SEC championship game, Alabama or Florida? And his answer was, I'm rooting for a meteor strike. I'm rooting for a power (laughs) outage. He said, I hope the sewer line breaks in Legion Field halfway through the game. But now – Legion Field? it Was it Legion Field? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Oh, man. For
1: years. For several years. For several years. yeah, They've come a long way such a neutral
0: hey, site hey, the right, old gray lady like on Greymont was a great football venue steeped in history yeah. be respectful
2: I, i've only had one brick thrown through the through the window of my car and it was <laughs> when i parked in someone's yard across the street from legion field with a tennessee sticker in the back window but that's all right so that's so, your fault yeah well all i did yeah. was go to the game all i did was i'm still mad at sirian states for that game all right so the, the point is is that um they Georgia and Alabama used to play all the time. Then they only played, I think 10 times between the seventies, eighties and nineties. And now this thing is seven times in the last 10 years. But, but yeah, Georgia has never beaten them in the SEC championship game. There's something to that. Right. And, and I've, and I've stood there and watched a better Georgia team lose to Alabama in that game, not too long ago. And so there is the possibility, you know, for a chaos scenario. And um, I mean, I'm, I haven't ruled that out yet, but I've, that that that's just sports rider me. Honestly, it's gone too easy for Shanky this fall.
1: They've been yeah. controversy free. Everybody's looking up at uh, uh, yeah. up at uh, suburban Chicago at the Big Ten office. Everybody's staring at Ann Arbor and yeah. poor, poor old SECs just puttering along. Like yeah. they just it would just be it would be an interesting. Yeah. It would be a really interesting. You would fill all four hours of that show. Reece. Oh no oh. question.
0: Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine the euphoria from? columbus or ann arbor whoever wins that game on saturday if they don't have georgia or alabama to deal with in the playoff they haven't won a playoff since 2014 uh the you know the heartbreak that georgia put on ohio state in the semis last year the absolute uh demolition that alabama put on ohio state in the championship game in 20 the uh you know, the smackdown that Georgia put on Michigan in the semis in 21, and now they don't have to deal with either of them. I mean, absolute euphoria in Big Ten country if that, if that happens. That will be the rarest of circumstances, maybe the only time in recorded history that Ohio State fans and Michigan fans not only will unite, but they'll be saying roll tide that that's going to cool. that's going to be really difficult to uh they they would prefer the sewer line break or something like that yeah. too i believe but their their interest will be not that they can't beat them before you know big 10 folks are really sensitive this year really highly really. sensitive yeah. so i'm not saying they can't win against either of those teams that they get in they both have championship level uh squads i think I haven't um,
1: felt any of that sensitivity. It's weirdy bro. have you I haven't yeah, heard, any, I haven't heard yeah. anything at
2: all. Yeah. i never no, heard it's it at been all. Pretty, No, pretty no. serene. No. Yeah. yeah. It, it, but, but it is, it is. What's interesting to me about this is that we are all three college football fans and have been our whole Here. lives. So, so I, w- I would, I, w- I used to love when I was a kid staying up to watch BYU and San Diego state at one o'clock in the morning. I just, cause I just want to watch college football, but then it fascinated me when I moved to Tennessee how they had no idea like any other conference were even playing football. I remember we played UCLA like my freshman year. But I was like, oh, we'll beat them. I'm like, Tommy Maddox is there. We got to go to the Rose Bowl. This is this is a good football. No, no, no. It's the Pac-12. And I, you still get that now. Oh, yeah, like, you still it's, get it. Yeah. It, it. It's amazing the conversations I have with colleagues who, who played football in the SEC and they're like, oh, are people really taking Oregon seriously? Yes, because the Pac-12 is a really good conference. It's just – but it's amazing to me this time of year – now everyone has to watch everyone else, and mm-hmm. they still have the same old, you know, feelings of, of what that conference is and isn't based on you know something their granddad told them when they were a kid.
0: And Ryan, you know what? That brings me to what I was gonna ask you guys. I want to know the the perception about this as we head toward the 12 team playoff format you are going to get more of that, not just in the SEC, but elsewhere. More of that as opposed to less of that. And the one thing that I've said from the very beginning of expansion that we are losing is the be-all, end-all game midseason, or in this case, this particular year, early season. So the question now becomes, because that if, if let's say for instance, and in, in Pete's scenario, if Alabama wins the sec, the other things fall in place. And yet they still don't make the college football playoff. There's going to be the outcry of, you know, the way they're playing right now. It's the old USC argument from 2016, which was ludicrous by the way. But, um, it's, um, you know, that boy, you don't want to play them now. Well, Alabama played that team that you're them 52 to six or something. So yeah, they would have been fine playing them again. Um, but, um, It will be that you don't want to play him right now. Well, part of the beauty of this exclusivity of the difficulty of winning a national championship, which is unique, proper use of the word, to our sport, is that the September game matters a lot. Mm. And it it would almost be a fitting conclusion to this era of determining champions, whether it was by vote, by two-team in the BCS, by four-team in the CFP. It would be a fitting conclusion in some ways if a game on the second weekend of the season with a quarterback uh, in his second game as a starter, third overall start in his career, came up short, improved by the end, and didn't get in, winning what I think all the metrics would still say is the best conference, and they didn't get in because of a Saturday night in September. There would be something poetic about that. And while a lot of Great people say, a lot of people would say, see, that's why yeah. we need 12. I would say yes, but it's also why the smaller playoff is beautiful because it is important. It's important. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. over the course of the season, in fact, most times things fall, fall in such a way that that game isn't the ultimate arbiter, but, Texas escaped Houston. They escaped Kansas State. They escaped Iowa State despite multiple self-inflicted wounds. And they soldier on. And that game still carries more weight than any other game that's been played up to this point. Now, the ones that are coming, Michigan, Ohio State, possibly Washington, Oregon, Alabama, Georgia, are going to carry a little more weight than that. But it's going to be right there on. When you name the four most important games of the season, barring upsets this week and rivalry week, That game, the second week in September, is highly likely to be right there with the Michigan-Ohio State game that we're going to see Saturday.
2: Well, and you said it just a second ago. We keep going even back to week one. We keep going back to – well, FSU's hanging their entire resume Mm -hmm. on the LSU game. And and so it's – and I wrote this for SportsCenter a couple weeks ago about, you know, I kind of want this conspiracy theory, you know, uh, secret invasion thing like, you know, the bracket exists. Like, the bracket has always existed. If you go back, I always said this about – in the beginning, I was a 16-team playoff guy. And then I became – I have come to love the 14 playoff. And the reason was because of that. The bracket already exists. You know, if you go back and look at it, you could connect the dots, you know, in the kind of this Mm -hmm. weird tree uh, spreadsheet that goes all the way back to week one and week two. I always go back to – I think I mentioned with you guys before. I remember when the ACC was doomed and the Big East was going to swallow it up and we're all at ACC Media Days at Pinehurst. And John Swafford said, if we take – commissioner of the ACC at the time, if we take care of our business in the first two weeks of the regular season and we take care of our business in the conference championship game and the bowl games, your perception of us over two weekends will completely change. And it's because of what you're talking about, which is it matters. It totally matters. And I'm really curious to see going forward next year, um, you know, if – you know, you have a loss early and now it's like the NFL, like, ah, we'll be all right. You know, I, I just, the intensity of it is um, I hope still exists on some level. Yeah. Is there going to be conversation? And again,
1: I am pro change, pro evolution, pro play pro playoff. I want to be clear, Yeah. but what I, I'm not looking forward to is, well, if they lose in week 10, they'd actually avoid going to league title game where if they lost Uh there, they may get knocked out. Like that, that is going to be part of the conversation. And again, I'm, it's not a complaint. It's just an observation. And that's just going to be like a little bit like, you know, that's a different deal than what we're going to see Reese and I in Ann Arbor on Saturday, which is winter takes everything, right? Like in, in late November. And that's pretty, you know, there's a, there is a certain theater, man. Correct, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Correct. Like for the next two so, weeks. I mean, for the next two oh, weeks, yeah. it's like that.
2: And, you know, and, and yes. there have been, there have been years where the conference championship games weren't, Great, yes. but I always go back to yeah. I was I was here in Charlotte where I live at the ACC title game one year, I think Georgia Tech had a chance to upset Florida State, and that was the year where Bowlesby made trips to two Big Twelve games in one day to say congratulations. And I was sitting with Pat Forty, our coworker at the time, and Pat looked at me and he goes, "This is the greatest thing of all time." It was because all the games that day mattered, and they're certainly yes. going to matter, you know, this weekend and next.
0: I want to hit a couple of things here. By the way, go back in history to that first year. You know what the biggest farce was that year? This whole idea that it was the Big 12's fault because they didn't declare the one true champion right. that they eventually went for. What a crock of crap. Because, <laughs> I mean, we've had we've had co-champions in this sport oh, a yeah. hundred times. So what? Why do you have the committee in that room to evaluate both of them? So you know what? Both of them get a slice of that. Yeah. You know, that was a biggest load of nothing ever. Mm-hmm. If we have a committee that can't determine which team they think is better in a co-championship situation, then they don't need to be on the committee. Yep. Uh, that's pretty simple. You know, they, you know, and and they didn't get it right because Ohio State won the national championship. Now, I do think that that's the team I would have voted for, but result does not determine whether your selection was correct. Right. You know, I agree the, with that. those right. are different things. Yikes. It's like getting into it's like, you know what? FAU didn't need to be one of the four one seeds because they made the final four. Mm-hmm. The selection is different from performance. Their performance yes. got them there. The selection was appropriate, enough of that. Now, the the one thing I will say that needs to go away, and I understand the finances of it, but if we're going to 12. Which we are, then we need to go on and go to 16, like you said, under this condition. Conference championship games have to go away. I know nobody wants to hear about that. Expand your regular season number of games you're playing and get rid of them. Make up the money by playing another round on campus. Because if not, this is, I'm so fired up about Ohio State Michigan be all, end all winner-take-all game on Saturday. But you know what we would get under the new format? They play again next week. And you know what we get after that? They're both in the 12-team bracket. Maybe they play again. Now, that's fine. Seeing good games between two outstanding teams is fun. But man, does it crush. It crushes what you have in this final week of the regular season. So if you have a rematch in the playoff, go ahead but the potential for three times. And what if, what if you split those two and then somehow you wind up and they're both eight, nine and they play and they play again or yeah. whatever the, you know, the yeah. in three, three consecutive games, that's not good for the sport. So find a way. I know it's almost impossible with the television contracts and all of that. They need for the good of the sport and the good of the postseason, to find a way, just go ahead and move it to 16 play like that way. Everybody gets a game on campus. If they're you know, at least one, I would prefer to uh, everybody gets one on campus early and you get rid of the possibility. Like Pete was talking about, you avoid the championship game. You might benefit here. You stay in the top 11 or whatever it takes, or they're saving some stuff for next week when it really matters. You don't want any of that stuff. So get rid of the possibility of it.
2: Yeah. And, and, and also that would solve, my biggest problem with the playoff, and I know Pete's sick of me talking about this. Everybody is. I, I hate buys. I hate them. I, I just Agreed. that is that is so Agreed. that is so yeah. Sunday NFL. I just anything that makes college football look like in the NFL. I'm against because I like college football because I love college football. I, I casually follow the NFL. Maybe you know. Part of that's because of the fact that I live in Charlotte, and the Carolina Panthers are what they are. But I just don't. I, I watch sa- Saturday football, not Sunday football. And so, when a playoff shows up, and and no, and everyone, I understand it's not a level playing field. I get all that. But I want everyone to play the same number of games. When you're get when you're handing out buys to me, it just feels very pro. And so, yeah, get rid of the conference championship games and do that. And listen, you guys cover college basketball you know, 365 days a year. I cover it casually when they call and say, go cover it. So I, I equate this a little bit to the conference tournaments. And you're talking to a guy who grew up on Tobacco Road. I love the ACC tournament like everyone else, but I also know what it is now versus what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I kind of feel that way about conference championship games now. I think they served an amazing purpose. And and mm. their purpose was helping determine that they served as a bracket for the playoff. And now that does that no longer exists and uh and I just or, or expands and I just I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I say I say we uh we get rid of them, add another home game or just back the whole thing up a week because I also don't like the fact that now we're gonna be playing football and college football on January the 22nd or whatever it is. Or so need to make up the quick. money. That's that's a peak yeah. question, and that's a yes. lot of money to yep. make it's up. You're not going to leave the yes. money on the
0: table, so yes. you have to find a way to make the money up. Yep. If if that ever comes to fruition,
2: no, that won't. <laughs> ever, well, well, this is all great, but in, in the end of the day, yeah. uh, follow the money. That's you know, which means we're we'll always play them, and I'll go. But but it's uh, but but it's uh, you know, it is what it is.
1: The history of college athletics is filled with obvious issues being ignored <laughs> until it becomes absolutely untenable because of money. Right. Like yep. you would have to have Ohio State fill in the blank, right? USC, uh, could be Florida, Alabama, Texas, whoever, not play their starters in the conference hideous way. You have to embarrass the leaders out of their pockets. That's what would have to happen. It, the scenario would have to happen where this becomes an embarrassment to them. Uh, you know, God forbid it's some awful injury in a rematch or something like that. There has to be some type of seismic event to get these commissioners. Everybody, the problem with college football, this really cuts to the core of it, is there's no leadership on a grand level. Nobody is looking out for the game. We realize, and what do we know, that this is going to be bad for the sport. It is searingly obvious it's bad for the sport. Yet, because finances are going to trump that, and again, there's there look, people can say hypocritical because of uh the you know, the four-letter logo on our thing here, and, and that's part of it. And I don't want to ignore that. But the, you know, it is obvious to every fan that the conference championships are just going to become a like a conference tournament in college basketball, just a Mm -hmm. sheer televised moneymaker. That's it. That's all they're going to be. And I do think, like, eventually, if they become clunky enough or they get in the way or they just become this, like, you know, the the great part about the season in college football now is ratchets, 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 crescendo. It's now going to ratchet, 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 dip, and then the playoff is going to be the crescendo. So it would have to start – costing them money but look these conference championship games are worth a ton of money the the great stat that uh an industry person told me um as the sec was going towards a new deal cbs had that sweetheart deal Mike Slive's like black mark on his legacy was the 55 million dollars basically that that they gave away their games for for a bunch of years to cbs and then cbs was never savvy enough to renegotiate it so it just became this like really lopsided thing the sec championship is worth more money or Philadelphia, Big Ten championship, Big 12, than that whole package was worth. All those great Saturday, 3 30, we can hear the jingle games. We all sat in and watched for four hours without getting up to go to the bathroom, right? Like all those, like right now, where things are financially, an SEC championship game is worth more than what this season the SEC is essentially making. Uh, from CBS for its best regular season content. So all that is being right-sized and new contracts. And that's that's just a long way to explain that these conference title games are worth a ton of money. And it would have to take something really seismic to change that, even though it's going to be glaringly and searingly obvious that it's the wrong decision for the sport and, right, quite frankly, for the players. Uh, and it's a good time. We get to. So, it's uh, a good time. But, yeah.
2: but, but, but 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 I mean I, I will have the best time in Atlanta two weeks from now. I've always had a great time here in Charlotte yep. with ACC. It's a great sure. time, and, it, and it's a celebration of the conference and the season. But in the new frontier, is there a place for it? Probably not. Well,
0: here's the thing about this year, Ryan, that I was going to point out, the week of Thanksgiving. It's We can be thankful that all of the conference championship games are legit, with the exception of – with all due respect to Iowa and the way they keep finding ways to win, with the exception of the Big Ten – Every winner in every other conference championship game, if Oregon gets there, I mean, there's still a possibility it could be Arizona, which would change the Pac-12 quite a bit. But if we get the ones that are expected, with the exception of of the Big Ten and the Big 12, you've got, you've got conference championship games where either winner is going to make its case for the playoff. You don't think if Louisville comes out of that and wins that and they only have one loss. Now, they're not getting in. You know, I don't think, you know, barring uh, some chaos, that it's hard to imagine right now. But I don't blame them for making a case. They're going to be ACC champions, beat a team that's been in the top five all year long. And, you know, they're going to have one loss on their resume. They'll make their case. So the ACC champ, the SEC champion, uh, Big Ten champion, although a little bit of a different championship game, Pac-12 for sure, if it's Washington and Oregon. Those feel like playoff games, but a lot of years we're going to, we won't anymore. We're going to have the rematch scenario, but a lot of years it hasn't been that way. It's all been avoid the rake, avoid the empty elevator shaft, which is more more in line with what Texas is going to look at, particularly if it's Oklahoma State that's on the other side, you know, capable team with two mind- blowing losses by a combined 10 touchdowns and a couple extra points you know to to the likes of UCF and South Alabama. So, you know, there there's that aspect of it too. Hey, we've we've run a little long here, but it is Thanksgiving week. So, the one dish you have to have on Thanksgiving, McGee, what is it? What's the one thing you look forward to more than anything else?
2: Uh it's uh it's stuffing or dressing depending on where you are with gravy poured over it. What kind you, you, of gravy? Uh, no, it's it's brown gravy. Like you, brown gravy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't, don't, don't anybody. And, and I don't mind. I'm not. i am not i am not. Uh, I'm not a gravy snob. I'll take whatever's sitting there. But <laughs> but but I'll be at the Lake Lure Inn on uh, Lake Lure, North Carolina, where they shout the "Last of the Mohicans" and and "Dirty Dancing," and we do a big buffet now. So that my wife doesn't have to. Cook. I'll be with Dr. Jerry McGee, and he'll be telling stories about you know Georgia Georgia Tech games that he worked over the years. And uh and yeah, so give me stuffing, dressing. what I don't know what you call it and muscle shoulders, Reese, you know, we call it dressing. You've got and, both. You
1: know, They're different yeah. things.
2: And, and, well, yeah. But, 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 but in North Carolina, I, I, my experience, people will call it the same thing, but I'm oh, okay. I'm, a, I'm a dressing guy with, uh, with, uh, with, with gravy poured all over, We're basically just pour the gravy, peat over everything. Like, I don't really, yeah. I'm not picky. Just you put it all on a plate, you pour the gravy over everything and you go eat it.
1: Well. Uh, i like to stay defiantly true to my reputation as being a uh, generally bland Northeasterner, and uh, as a resident of the city of Boston, I really have no no other thing I could draft than a heaping helping of mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes were besmirched on our game day call today a little bit, and that they really, were. that really, that really got into my soul. How can you love mashed potatoes? They're the foundation of everything good about Thanksgiving. And like, I I I feel strongly about mashed potatoes, and I look forward to enjoying them. Mix in a little stuffing, mix in a little cranberry, mix in some turkey, throw some gravy on, sure. But that is that is the the, the base layer of all of Thanksgiving's goodness. So, but, it's
2: got, but it has gravy, right? What do you put on, on the mashed potatoes? That's key. A uh,
1: little butter, a little salt. That's okay. all. They can they can stand on their own. Right, but yeah. you can if also dress them up
2: too. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes. Yes, well, Peter, I, we have good potatoes now.
0: Let's let, I, let's be honest. I love I love mashed potatoes too. Not my favorite. And to give some context, the difference of opinion on the game day call this morning, the planning call, was that Herb Street opined that with his mother's mashed potatoes or pretty much any other ones that were good, he would sit in a bathtub filled with them. He would sit in the bathtub with a giant spoon and and eat them. Uh, Pat McAfee, on the other hand, views them as like a necessary obstacle. I don't I, I question how good the mashed potatoes he's experienced in mm-hmm. his life have been. But he took us over to a, a place in the Thunderdome, which is brick. And he said that mashed potatoes were like the mortar between the bricks and necessary kind of holds the meal together. But th- it's not really what you're there for. I I, I don't th- I don't think he could be any more wrong about this because mashed potatoes do stand on their own however the one thing is uh my wife lee makes this remarkable remarkable sweet potato casserole it has pecan- you say that. it has, I, it, has it. it has pecans on it has pecans and pecans have to be georgia pecans we have them uh, shipped in wherever we are <laughs> for it um she has a a certain. Set of ingredients. It's an old family recipe. It's sort of like dessert, sort of like sweet potatoes, no marshmallows on the top. You don't want that. That just messes things up. And they stand on their own. In fact, the, the great Mark May, as you see, his jersey over my shoulder for those of you watching on YouTube. For a number of years, uh Mark and Lou, Lou Holtz would come to our house for Thanksgiving. Mark, who always always has a business angle on everything, would like, when people would come to visit, we'd we'd try to bring in people who didn't have anywhere to go on Thanksgiving. Mark would doggedly guard the sweet potatoes and Lee's conversation about them because he wanted her to protect the recipe because he always had this idea that these needed to be produced and marketed and sold for profit. You know, This is what he wanted to do. So Lou came uh the first year Lou came and Mark had been before and Lou had not been to the house and Lou said that he didn't care for sweet potatoes which is fine you know people have various tastes or whatever and we were raving about them so much he said he didn't like them and um but he snuck in the room snuck in the kitchen and he'd put a little on his plate and he snuck back into the kitchen and we caught him getting a big uh, spoon of seconds. And Mark went after him as he often did on final verdicts. I thought you didn't like them. Why are you doing that? You know, but uh, uh, my wife would always put some aside for Mark and send them back to the hotel with him because he, he loved them so much, but that's, that's my favorite side dish. Thanksgiving got to have yeah. it every well, time.
2: Well, you, you probably don't even remember this. I lived in Bristol for two winters, two Thanksgivings. Mm-hmm. And my second one, I was at the Davis house. That's right. You I remember that. that
0: was that when we were living in Bristol, Ryan, or had we yes. moved to uh it, it was Burlington, Bristol. It Bristol? was a
2: really, really long time ago. And yeah. I still and I'm not a sweet potato casserole person. Yeah. And and when I, and there were no marshmallows, I was a little offended. And then after <laughs> after a bite, I was like, Oh no, I'm good. I'm totally good. So yeah, there's I, a so-
0: secret ingredient in there that we can't I once brought a plate to uh once uh, brought a plate from home to Keith Olbermann who did not uh who did not join us. And that we had the old basis system where you didn't yeah. really have email or anything, but you have top line messages. So I was doing a later sports center. Keith was doing an earlier one or something. And um, I got a top line message from him from the plate. Identify brown substance. So I <laughs> told him, yeah. and yeah. he ate him. He goes, he goes. This is spectacular or something. <laughs> and that That's was a, that there was all up. we got. So we've uh, we've stretched the sweet potato casserole fame uh, all over the place um,
2: for decades. So. So for decades. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not willing to admit how many decades ago that was, but I still remember him. So there you go. How about was that the year so benevolent?
1: He doesn't even remember Ryan McGee going. His no, house I do. I do remember. I, when I mean, you oh, did, yeah, but yeah. like you didn't like even yeah. bring it up before. Well, I was
0: going to say which which Ryan was that the year uh, my wife was mortified <laughs> because she was cooking and a squirrel ran into a transformer one year on Thanksgiving morning Exploding. and zap and zap yeah. power to yeah. like our entire neighborhood. So we had. We had she couldn't use the oven, basically. We were in a rental house at the time. And she did we did have a gas, uh gas stove or whatever. So she basically ended up frying the turkey. Was that the year? Was yeah. that the year that she had to do that? Yeah.
2: I started the morning playing uh playing touch football with Chris Myers, who always played all-time quarterback, by the way. It's up there, out yeah. there, gone there. It's a touchdown thing there. So I, I shouldn't throw it to you, McGee, because of that haircut. And then and then I and then and then we went to Reese Davis's house and I was you know I, I, I wasn't that far out of college I couldn't believe was all there this just happened. like a mascot
1: like sitting at like one of the tables yeah, like, yeah. The stuff, like, <laughs> it just sounds the, like a
2: perfectly yeah, ESPN yeah, day the the, uh, the, the Alabama Friar. elephant yeah, yeah the Providence yeah there you go like Alabama trees scaring everybody yeah and
0: yeah, <laughs> we've had we've had a lot of people there over the years Ryan has come some of our. Uh, uh, social media people are still working there. Been here at different times. Uh, uh, we seem to be benevolent to Tennessee people. Brett Smokey Edgerton uh, has mm-hmm. come. Uh, Brad Edwards used to work for us has come. Yep. and uh, Rich Eisen uh, made a couple of appearances back in the day. So um, right. we had uh, uh, that was early. Rich might have been there the year that you came, Ryan. I yeah, it's
2: It, possible, was, I it was it was a large crowd. Like yeah. I felt I felt almost bad because she was working really hard. And she always was, does, and fed everyone, does. and and we and we appreciated that because at the time it was either. Kenny Rogers roasters or go to Reese Davis's house.
0: (laughs) You chose wisely. I hope uh, hope everyone listening has a great Thanksgiving as well. We're going to dial back on the podcast just a little bit uh, in in light of Thanksgiving and observing that, making sure everybody has plenty of time with their family. So there will only be a second episode this week. It will be the Picks podcast, probably come out a little early because we really need to uh, put those Friday games on the list, too, as we continue to do. So hope everybody out there has a great Thanksgiving. Um, Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. We encourage you to watch on YouTube, download wherever you like to get your podcast, or better yet, subscribe so you never miss a single episode.